Career Panel. Today, we bring you a special episode in the series with her focus on women in international business. My name is Lucy Buck, and I'm a senior at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. I am majoring in supply chain management and business analytics with a concentration in international business. I'm a member of the Haslam Scholars Program, the premier honors program at the university. And I also serve as the president of the International Business Club. The International Business Club is a student organization that strives to prepare students at the University of Tennessee to become effective and thoughtful business leaders in an increasingly globalized business environment. We achieve this purpose by hosting events such as this to expose students to global perspectives and ideas and encourage collaboration, discussion, and innovation regarding all things related to international business. For our panelists, I'd like to welcome you. This program has been organized by the World Affairs Council and the University of Tennessee Center for Global Engagement. Let me say a word about the Tennessee World Affairs Council. It is a unique grassroots educational association that works to bring global awareness programs to the community. The council invites you to become members and to check out the extensive archive of programs on global issues, including previous career panels. Those are on the youtube.com slash TNWAC channel. The UTK Center for Global Engagement works to lead the University of Tennessee's strategies for global education, research, and engagement. Now, on to our program. We are pleased to bring you a terrific panel of women of achievement who are engaged in a variety of careers. We thank them for taking time to share their stories with us tonight. In the interest of time, I will refer you to the TNWAC.org program page for their complete biographies. For those watching this in the archive, please refer to the program notes. We will also learn more about their backgrounds in our conversation. Now, allow me to introduce our panelists. Lulu Copeland is Executive Director of the Tennessee China Network, a nonprofit organization that connects people and businesses to enhance bilateral trade and investment. She is also an independent economic and workforce development consultant. Beth Ann Martorello is Senior Vice President and Chief Audit Officer at Alliance Bernstein, or AB. AB is a global investment firm with new headquarters in Nashville. They employ over 4,000 and manage almost $700 billion in assets. Robin Relaford is head of health and safety at World Strides, an educational travel organization that works to give students experiences beyond the classroom. Over 9 million students have traveled throughout the United States and abroad in World Strides programs. Masami Tyson is global director of foreign direct investment or FDI at the State Department of Economic and Community Development. She practiced law for almost two decades prior to her current work, which is to bring global businesses to Tennessee. Thank you all for joining us today. We appreciate your time, insights, and perspectives. For our audience, we will begin with pre-written questions for our panel to bring you their stories. We want to know about the inspiration and preparation that led them on their career paths, what they do in their working lives, how to achieve work-life balance, and the challenges women potentially face in the workplace and in international business careers. We look forward to your questions, audience. Please add them to the Q&A tab on your Zoom screen. If you put your questions in the chat box, they may not be seen. Uh, after I go through my pre-written questions for our panelists, uh, we will go uh, to the Q&A box and ask uh, the audience questions from there. So moving on now to our questions. First question for this evening, 
uh, is for uh, starting with Masami. What is your day-to-day -day life like in your current job? Hey, great question. Um, so as Lucy uh, kindly introduced, I work for the state of Tennessee and um, I work for the department that creates jobs for Tennesseans. So everything I do is directed towards that. That is our end goal. But the good news is um, every day is different for me. Um, and part of that, uh, the reason is that I wear different hats um, in my role. Um, so for example, one uh, is I manage a team of foreign directors that are located uh, in Asia and Europe. They are our state of Tennessee foreign offices and they are the ones that try to identify companies that are interested in investing in the United States and hopefully Tennessee. So I spend a lot of time every week with each uh, of my directors and we talk about uh, upcoming leads and projects and companies and uh, relationships and meetings that they've been to. Uh, I also help them create strategy. So that's one, that might be one day. Another day I might be um, participating in exciting things such as the one uh, I am in right now. Um, because I, uh, one of the things I love about my job is that, as I used the word already several times in the last couple minutes, um, my job is about building relationships and getting the word out that Tennessee is open for business, and in particular, in my role, um, to international business. So every opportunity like this, I um, am very excited about and grateful for. Um, and also, uh, another day, I might... Uh, be in meetings with uh, international and diplomatic offices, such as embassies and consulates. And again, it's about relationship building between Tennessee and uh, the countries. Thank you so much, Masami. That's really exciting. Uh, moving on to Lulu, what is your day-to-day -day life like? You're muted. So I start my day pretty early. Um, it, 5.30 Eastern time is usually when I start getting on the computer, answering emails and tend to social media. I manage for due to the different roles I have accumulated. Then a lot of virtual or face-to-face -face meetings. Um, my earliest meetings right now is a monthly planning meeting at 7.30 for a February event I coordinate annually. Um, and latest recently due to the international audience might be 9.30 p.m. In between, uh, we'll be working with clients, partners, collaborators, potential speakers for future events. Um, I work with several international business councils uh, of different chambers around Tennessee. So um, like Masami said, building relationship is important. So you want to make sure that you are communicating uh, frequently. So Days are different, um, like hers as well. During month of October, I do a lot of manufacturing tours because uh, manufacturing day is October 1st. But uh, throughout the months, there are a lot of focus on promoting manufacturing with future workforce. So I have hosted four tours uh, this month already. And then today I did a panel discussion during lunch uh, about uh, workforce of the future. Wow, that's a long day. <laughs> also a lot of variety. Yeah. Thank you. 
Moving on to Robin, what is your day-to-day -day life like? Hi, Lucy. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, so much like you've just heard, um, for me, working in global risk management every day is also going to be very different, um, really depending on what is going on in the world that day. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, I always start my day with a to-do list, but I always know I have to be very flexible with that. Um, really, there are four primary functions for my office. Um, and I may work on any one of those or some combination of those throughout the course of a day. Um, the first is overseeing incident management. So really, no matter where any of our travelers are in the world, um, my office is going to work hand in hand with our global staff to provide 24-7 emergency support and be able to respond to an incident anywhere in the world if something were to occur. Um, the second function is policy development. Um, so this is, you know, just to make sure that we are actually prepared to respond to any incident um, and have the right protocols in place. My office really tries to stay abreast of best practices within the field. Um, and we're regularly reviewing our policies and our protocols to make sure that they're up to date and appropriate. Um, next, we have monitoring worldwide events um, to understand what is happening in any of our program destinations um, and how that may impact our operations. Um, so you can imagine during COVID, like all of these things are have been nonstop. Um, and then of course, um, emergency communications are also a large part of what I do. So whenever there is an incident in the world, whether it impacts an individual traveler or an entire location or the entire world, um, we are um, trying to communicate with all of our stakeholders to make sure they understand um, not just what is happening, but how our organization is responding. So I try to start each day early, um, uh, reading the news and reading any security reports or updates that came in overnight, whether they're our private security provider or our underground teams. And then depending on what has come in, my day will take off from, from there. Thank you so much, Robin. Uh, and Beth Ann, what is your day-to-day -day life like? Much like uh, my co-panelists, there is no sort of typical day. Uh, for example, we're right now we're in the middle of planning. So after this uh, lovely event, I have two meetings, one for our folks in Taiwan and one for our folks in Hong Kong. So much like Lulu, you can start very early in the day and go very long. We're a global internal audit function. So we have staff in Taiwan, Hong Kong, London, and uh, Luxembourg, Nashville, and New York. So we kind of run the gamut there. And the audits can be anything from operational, looking at trading or looking at research or any one investment operation, client reporting. I mean, they just run the gamut. And plus we do the SOX 404 testing for our 10K. So it's there is no typical day. There is no normal day. I think adaptability and being able to change on a dime is really critical if you're if, in, in any job function, regardless if it's global or just internal. Yeah, it really sounds like endurance also is an endurance. <laughs> endurance, a lot of caffeine, coffee. <laughs> if you're a coffee drinker, good tea if you're a tea drinker. Get that caffeine, yeah. Thank you so much, Bethann. Uh, so on to our second question. A lot of our um, audience members tonight are college students. So starting with Lulu, I'm curious, what was your major or area of study when you were in college and how did your college experience impact your career? Well, I started out with architecture and then um, engineering. 
and actually um, finished up with engineering management. And all the subject matters and courses enabled me to respond and support projects um, in previous years and currently. And of course, some of the past study may require refresher now and then, but I believe my career definitely will continue to be shaped by my past experience and lessons learned. So um, try to accumulate those knowledge and know where to find your subject matter experts when you need them. That's great advice, thank you. Uh, now, Masami, what was your major in college? So um, the major was called the writing seminars at the particular university I went to, but it, it was creative writing. Um, so I uh, actually did that for my undergraduate degree and I even got a master's degree in it. And I um, taught creative writing for a while. Um, and then I went on to get a law degree, um, as you said, for my introduction. So I did that for a while and then now I'm doing something entirely different. But I think as Lulu alluded to, um, I don't think any of it was a waste. In fact, it was, it's, it's all been a plus um, for the work I do. Um, at the very least, it kind of makes you a more diverse and interesting person, I suppose, I hope. Um, so, but in any event, I, I um, was not one of those um, types that sat down and planned my life out and that's how it happened. Uh, certainly, I, I, I don't think I did any planning at all, actually, to be honest with you. That makes me feel better. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm sure uh, creative writing really helps your persuasive writing skills as well. Um, now, on to Beth Ann, uh, what was your major in college? <laughs> so I was a history education major. So continuing the theme, maybe. Um, and I think really what college that experience taught me was what was my innate calling. And that was learning and guiding teaching, right? And I translated that into internal audit because as an auditor, I was constantly going into new business areas where I had to learn. But I was also always teaching because we are the risk and control experts. And part of that is really leading management to a better control framework and teaching them about risk and or what makes an effective control if we don't think their controls are effective. So that innate calling, I would call it, um, that I learned about myself in college. I went to college to be a lawyer, right? But that just, as I was going through, that just wasn't me. Um, although some people say I'm a pretty good debater, which might also come in handy as an auditor. And I think that's what the college experience, I think the college experience also broadens you to different perspectives, which is crucial in any sort of job, especially in global, um, in a global business. Thank you. And Robin, what did you study in school? Sure. So I was a political science major with a concentration on international relations, and I minored in French. Um, to complete my French minor, I studied abroad for a semester in the south of France, and that really kind of um, one uh, uh, helped advance my my language skills, but also um, really awoken in me a, a desire to, to to travel and to want to introduce travel to to others. Um, 
I also um, went to went to law school like Masami. Seems like Beth Ann was a little bit smarter and knew better. Um, she she learned early on because now I'm a recovering attorney. Um, but what law school really taught me was how to think analytically and how to write persuasively. And uh, those are two skills that I use um, in my in my everyday life. So um, definitely a different path to get to where I am now, but uh, no regrets and, and everything kind of merged well together to get us right here. Tribute. <laughs> 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 Uh, moving on to our next question, you kind of, uh, our panelists touched on this a little bit in your previous answers, but to what extent did you plan for your present career? If you were to ask yourself 10 or 15 years ago what you would be doing professionally, how do you think you would have answered? And we'll start with Masami. Right, well, so I already confessed that I did not plan um, anything very much, or at least not very well. Um, you know, I uh, so I I grew up um, in Japan. I was born and raised there, and so and I came here to go to college and have been here since. And I guess what I'm trying to get at is, college for me was a very um, uh, you know a totally different uh, experience um, in all ways. I mean, college is is hard and and different and and a new challenge for anybody. But I was adapting to living in a new country and with that. And so I like to think that, um, you know, it's okay that I didn't really plan. Um, I was adjusting and sort of uh, figuring out what it was that I wanted to do. I didn't even know that I would stay in the United States beyond college. Um, so I didn't plan, but I think as, um, Somebody else has already mentioned those years were very formative in the sense that, well, first of all, I learned a lot about um, being in this country and, you know, the, the, the values and issues that are um, very important, regardless of the, the path you choose and the field you, you, you end up in. Um, and then, you know, even with law school, and I won't get into it because it's such a long story, it's not as if I really um, had some pivotal experience or, or a, a very um, extended um, thought process that led me there, to be honest with you. But having said that, as I've already said, I, I think it all worked out. Um, and I was very fortunate in that way. Um, and so if you asked, you asked me, you know, what, what would I have thought? Or what, what was your question about 10, 15 years ago? Where yeah, would I have thought? thought then? Yeah, okay. Well, so I was still very much in the middle of practicing uh, as a corporate lawyer. And I knew, actually, I did know that that is not where um, I wanted to be 10 years from then. I knew I wanted to pursue something else. Um, so I don't know if you call that planning, but I did make some deliberate choices and decisions um, so that I um, did not uh, sort of um, limit myself to uh, practicing law, so. Yeah, it's important to know what you want, right, from your future career. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, moving on to Lulu, uh, what extent did you plan for your career? So I didn't plan my career at all either. <laughs> <laughs> 
when I graduated from college, uh, I started as an entry-level engineer at TVA and knowing at some point I would want to have a graduate degree, but not sure which, so I just worked. Then decided I want to design for a smaller operation. TVA is, at that point, as an entry-level engineer, is just a bit too big for me. And I actually worked through a temp agency for, for nine months before I taking on a design engineering position with Ola Mills. Um, I would think the audience here, college students probably don't remember Ola Mills or know what Ola Mills is. It's a um, photographic um, service company that is not, doesn't exist anymore. I ended up at Ola Mills for 13 years. When I left Ola Mills, I was the engineering design documentation manager, but also teaching as an adjunct. Um, then I decided to uh, jump over to the, the teaching as adjunct for both UTC and uh, Chattanooga State. Um, my teaching at Chattanooga State introduced me to corporate training projects as well as economic development activities. So 23 years later, I retired from being the executive director of economic and workforce development at the college. So that allowed me to spend decades working with international companies and local companies in the region. Now I'm wearing three hats and one of the hat as executive director of Tennessee China Network, supporting Chinese companies in Tennessee, as well as Tennessee company wanting to do business in China. And the other hat is a Tennessee state lead for men and women mentors promoting STEM careers with young and not so young women. The third hat is working as workforce development consultant for customers that do not fit in the two other buckets. So not planned, just stepping through the doors when it opens, but hopefully with eyes wide open. Thanks. Thank you. It's very cool. Uh, on to Beth Ann, what extent did you plan for your career? Well, being a high school history teacher major, not me be perfectly well, but um, so not, not well. Uh, I kind of just fell in. I actually started an internal audit as administrative assistant as I was for waiting for something in the teaching field to come along. And from there, it just kind of took off where I started to teach myself um, databases and access and, and uh, started to build all the um, and then became an IT auditor. And from there, it just progressed. And if I, it's funny, because when I see the question like 10 to 15 years ago, I can tell you quite honestly, three years ago, as we were getting ready to come down to Nashville, I was the chief of staff for internal audit. And I said to my predecessor, I don't want her job. Like, I don't want that job. I don't want to be the chief audit officer. And truth be told, I think part of it was that imposter syndrome. I, I lack the confidence to do the job. But her successor, um, unfortunately, went out on disability. And so I had no choice to, to become the acting uh, chief audit officer. And there's something amazing about doing the job. You realize you can do the job and you want the job. So I would have told you quite flatly, I do not want to be the chief audit officer of Alliance Bernstein three years ago, let alone 10, 15 years ago. So I challenge all of you to challenge yourselves because I sometimes think we 
are our biz biggest roadblock as we progress in our career. That's really great advice. Thank you so much. What, what extent did you plan your career? So this is interesting because really, I, I think I was five when I decided I wanted to be a lawyer when I grew up. So when I was in college, you know, everything I did was to, was to lead to the next step, was to lead to, to going to law school. Um, you know, even my, my job in between undergrad and um, in law school was I worked as a paralegal. Um, so you can imagine my surprise when, when four years into my career, I realized this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I had to kind of figure out what I really wanted to be when I, when I grew up. So when I think back 10 to 15 years ago, I was very much in a transitional place. Um, you know, I uh, decided to, to leave the firm where I had been practicing. Um, I took a little bit of a sabbatical and actually moved back to France for, for six months to try to kind of get my head straight. Um, and that's when I decided I wanted to enter into international education. Um, and when I first entered the field of international education, it was largely in a sales role, um, helping to build out partnerships with U.S. universities and um, a couple of different uh, foreign, uh, foreign universities for which I worked. I mean, then in that role, um, I would often go to conferences and I would use that time to really network and speak with people who were in the field, but in different roles than what I was doing at the time. And uh, risk management, global risk management was really becoming more and more of a um, kind of hot button topic at the time because there had been several key world events that really directly impacted um, American students abroad. Um, but you, know, you had things like the Arab Spring that were going on. You had the Japan earthquake and the subsequent Fukushima nuclear disaster. Um, and so I was really kind of drawn to uh, those events and their impact in the niche profession within the field was developing at that time. Um, as universities really were realizing that they had a duty of care to the students that they were sending out in the world um, to, to earn academic credit. Um, so I really felt like at that point, my education and all of my previous work experiences were really coming together. Um, and um, I was pretty well poised for a role, you know, doing global risk management within international education. And then it seemed like the stars aligned and I found myself in the right position. Cool, thank you so much. Um, going back to Masami to our next question, what were some key moments or stepping stones in your life to you being where you are today? What preparation did you undertake to pursue your career? Well, I think I um, already alluded to the fact that maybe there was no real pivotal moment, but I can tell you some things that I did no matter what I was doing that helped me get to where I am today. Um, and these are some very, very basic things like um, trying to be excellent at whatever opportunity I was in at the moment. Um, also building relationships. I think that's been a theme, common theme today already. Um, learning from people, listening to people, um, just keeping uh, your ears and eyes wide open um, for different uh, opportunities and um, even things like career paths that 
that you may never have heard of, you would never learn about unless you put yourself out there and start talking to people. So for example, my work um, with uh, you know foreign direct investment for the state, I had no idea that this department even existed until I was at an event and I heard uh, my commissioner speaking about the work that our department does. Um, another way of answering your question is, as I've already mentioned, I was born and raised in a different country, um, but I have been very fortunate in that I've had uh, the opportunity to come and study in the United States and continue to stay here. And as a result of that, you know, I always knew that I wanted to do something that was cross-cultural and global, um, use my background and my language capabilities. So, you know, I, I think rather than one pivotal moment, for me, it was a gradual um, realization about what it is that I wanted to do. But by the way, I'm still trying to figure out what it is when I want to, what it is that I want to do when I grow up. So still on that trajectory. Thank you so much, Masami. Uh, and on to Lulu, what were some key moments or stepping stones? I will restate eyes wide open is key, knowing what's happening around you and to you, seeing a need to leave TVA in order to grow, uh, knowing a smaller design team, I can do more and learn more. So at Ola Mills, I implemented CAD and became a certified AutoCAD user, then a trainer. And that enabled me to do the adjunct teaching. I mentioned Mommy Track, which is prioritizing my personal need at that time. Uh, at the same time, knowing Ola Mills may not survive much longer. There are many examples during my 23 years at the college, but um, let me address the preparation part. I did finally select a master's degree program after sampling different graduate classes for many, many years, uh, computer science, MBA, um, additional engineering classes, and finally decided on a uh, master's degree in engineering management because I was leading an uh, engineering team. I mentioned AutoCAD certification. So uh, I took a lot of continuing classes, um, project management, software, QuickBooks. So just kind of tools you need for the job that you are in or the job you want to take uh, in order to do it well. Thank you so much. Yeah, as a student here in the College of Business, I am actively trying to build up my toolbox for potential future career paths. Uh, now, Robin, what were some key moments or stepping stones in your life? Hmm. So, yeah, as I mentioned, when I left my um, law firm, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do next. And um, what I ended up doing was really having to take a step back in order to get to where I am now. And so if I had advice for anyone here, it would be don't be afraid to do that, particularly if you have, you know, I was fortunate to have a network and support system around me, um, but you can't be afraid to step back to, to move forward. Sometimes that's necessary. Um, and also like during that time, I, I realized that I really didn't know how to, to network prior to making a career change. It just wasn't something that you know, came naturally to me, um, speaking with strangers at conferences or striking up conversations. Um, but I really can't emphasize enough you know, just the value 
in networking because you never know who you are going to meet and who they may know or when your paths will cross again. Um, and so um, when I first started going to those conferences, um, I would speak with someone and they would pass my name on to someone else and, you know, and so on. Um, so for anyone here, if you, if you have the opportunity, well, particularly while you're still in university, um, to practice uh, networking in real life when it's safe to, to do so, um, you know, I definitely encourage people to go to campus events, to go to lecture events, alumni events, and talk to people, um, ask good questions, and really listen to, to the responses. Um, you know, always have your elevator pitch ready to, to go, because I think that all those skills will really come in handy, you know, helping you navigate your professional life and opening up new opportunities for you. Yeah, networking is such a crucial skill that they really uh, advocate for uh, in the College of Business and UT in general. So thank you. Um, and Beth Ann, what were some key moments for you? I mean, I think, you know, sometimes a, a so, for example, when, when I was talking to New York State and I said NYU didn't tell them that I had graduated, right, so I couldn't be eligible for a teacher, at that time, Lehman had just spun off um, and layoffs were occurring. So I needed to get a job, right, because teaching wasn't going to pan out for that year. And that's what led me to become an administrative assistant at uh, Barclays. And I had all the technical skill, but let's just say I might not have had the right disposition or desire to be a great administrative assistant. Um, and so I'd actually was going to take another job. I was going to leave Barclays. Um, and they asked me to stay. And I did something you're never supposed to do. I accepted a counter offer where they promised they would teach me computers and programming. And that's what led me into uh, IT auditing. But because I was an administrator, I knew the managing director, he, he loved me, right? So when I got my first performance evaluation, I'm saying, am I, I, am I this good or is he just, is he being overly favorable? So I left because I wanted to be judged on my own uh, in a new place. And that's what brought me to Alliance Bernstein. And once I got there, there's been a bunch of little stepping stones, but I think they all started with the word yes. So Bethann, you wanna do a fraud audit? Sure. Bethann, do you wanna learn this? Sure. You wanna do an operational? I, we know, but we're really short staffed. Do you wanna do an audit here? Sure. So saying yes to those opportunities, that's the first part, but then doing what you need to do to deliver. And all of a sudden you become sort of a go-to person, right? And all of a sudden I went from an IT auditor to an integrated auditor. I was probably one of the only people on the staff to ever look at settlements. That's, that's a business operation, but I looked at it because I said, sure, you need help, why not? So I think there are many, many stepping stones, but for me, once I got to AB, like I said, they all started with the word yes. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> Take those opportunities as they come. Uh, that's really great advice as well. Thank you. Moving on to our next question, kind of going off what Robin said about networking. Um, what role have mentors played in your career? Who in your life was instrumental in encouraging you and guiding you forward? And we'll start with Lulu. Well, I was very fortunate to have many supervisors over the, my um, career life. And some of them I learned from. So 
Please note, you can also learn from bad supervisors. Even good supervisors may have area deficiency. So again, with your eyes wide open, you can learn a lot. I will mention one UTC professor that tapped me to be a TBA intern, which turned into a job after graduation. He also would invite students to attend engineering professional society uh, meetings. So with that, I'm still very active in the engineering community due to his nudge. That also propagated into being involved with Chamber of Commerce events and volunteering and other community organizations. So, um, so those type of um, nudges along the way do get you involved and you know allow you to step out of maybe your comfort zone and add to your experiences. Those all sound like really fun events. Thank you. Uh, Masami, what role have mentors played in your life? Um, very significant ones. I would say that um, I feel like I've been very blessed, very um, fortunate in that many people have sort of pulled me up to various um, positions, opportunities provided, uh, you know, open doors for me. But I do want to echo what Lulu just said about the ability to learn from anyone. You know, I, I, I can only uh, think of maybe just a handful of people I would call mentors, but I feel that, you know, every relationship is a learning opportunity. I mean, I, I, I really mean that, and I'm not being um, overly dramatic or extreme, I believe. I mean, today I'm learning from my fellow panelists, I'm learning from you. And so I think that's really key. Um, and no matter how old you are, where you are in your career, but certainly when you're starting out, um, you know, there's something to be said about people in certain positions. You know, there's a reason they're, they're there. And uh, sometimes you wonder why they're there, but, but having said that, um, and so of course there's a lot to learn. Wow, that's great advice too. Thank you. Robin, uh, who are some of your mentors? Sure, let me first say I love what Lulu said. You know, you're gonna learn from, from the good supervisors and the bad. There are always gonna be people who teach you what you wanna do and what you don't wanna do. And you have to be open and, and use all of those as learning experiences. Um, for me, um, probably, I always go back to the first, um, my very first boss, the senior attorney who I worked for at my, my law firm. And this is significant because it's been about 20 years. Um, uh, but uh, the reason why, you know, obviously as a mentor, he did great things. He encouraged critical thinking. He always provided helpful feedback. Um, but he presented me with opportunities and taught me the importance of not just having a mentor, but also having a sponsor. And by a sponsor, I mean someone who's willing to mention your name positively in a room when you're not there. Someone who's looking out for opportunities for, for you um, in that way. That to me was critical. And that's what that person, that was the role that that person served for, for me. Um, and beyond that, I think they just taught me um, how to be a good leader because they led by example. And uh, they, Set the example of how to be the kind of boss, how to be the kind of coworker, even how to be the kind of opposing counsel <laughs> that uh, someone wants to work with because they respect them and they feel respected when they're working with them. 
Um, so even now when I try to navigate difficult uh, personalities or manage, you know, my direct reports, you know, I often find myself thinking back to that first person and saying, what would they do in this, in this moment? And so that was you know, very critical for, for me. Sounds like a really cool supervisor. Thank you so much. Um, Beth Ann, who are some of your mentors? So I think, you know, the, the chief audit officer who hired me, and I think one of the reasons I really wanted to go to AB was one, at the time, IT audit was male dominated. And here I'm walking in and the audit manager is a woman and the head of the department is a woman. So that kind of led me to there. And, but I, I think I'm just going to take a different tact in that in that relationship, it's always a two-way street. Mm -hmm. So the mentor is there to advise and guide, but as a mentee, I had to outline what my desires are, what my interests were, right? So that she could guide and lead me in the right path. And I would go a step further than sponsoring. She was an advocate. So if there was an error that needed analytics she would say let Beth Ann look at it she's great at data analytics let her let her loose on it and she'll get you the right results so it's just beyond the sponsorship it's the advocacy and really speaking up for those people uh, when new standards came out I would go to her and I said well this is what I think we should do we need to build this and she would say go build it so I think it's a two-way street. So if when you're looking for a mentor, one, you have to be very comfortable with them and be frank with them and honest with them, but you're, you're in charge of your career in terms of the path you want to follow. And I think that's so critical as you're looking for your mentor because they're not gonna have that answer. You are in charge of your career of the path you want to follow. Wow, that, that's the t-shirt the I'm taking with me. <laughs> you know, it's, well, my, my, I always say to my staff, you tell me where you want to go and I'll give you all the tools and the education and the training to get there, make you the contacts. But I can't tell you where you want to be in five years. That's, that's something you have to determine. Yeah, wow. That's really inspiring. Thank you. Uh, my next plan question is similar to our audience questions. I'll move on to the next one. Um, please address the difficulties, if any, women face working in international business. And we'll start with Masami. Well, um, I think, um, I don't know that there are any specific to international business, um, but I can tell you that being a woman um, in business, a professional woman has um, its challenges. Somebody already mentioned mommy track. Um, I did that too for several years. I have three children and uh, I still have one at home. And so that is a factor. It's about balancing. Um, but on the other hand, I, I, I also count that as a blessing uh, on my good days because it does give you the, um, first of all, it teaches you to have to balance various things and multitask, but also it gives you um, sort of a reprieve from just work, if you will. So, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, there's also other things like, you know, just the fact that there is a panel of uh, women in international business 
whereas there isn't a panel of men in international business, I mean, I think that it, of in itself is telling that there is still a um, difference and the world still needs to, you know, strive for true equity, um, gender equality. Um, and we are the subject of that. So whether we like it or not, um, there is a, a difference and an imbalance and um, the world that we have to navigate in. So I'll leave it at that. Thank you. Robin, what are your thoughts? I, I really think that Masami said it, said it well. Um, uh, I don't know if there are anything, you know, any challenges or difficulty um, in international business in any other field. Um, the only thing I'll add is you know, what can be interesting is having to navigate cultural differences associated with gender norms um, when you're working with uh, colleagues or clients or contacts um, all over all over the world. Um, so. That's the, the only other thing I can think of to add to that. Thank you so much. Lulu, do you have anything to add? Well, I also agree that the difficulties are not just with international businesses. It can be with any kind or any size of business. And it's usually not the company or the organization, but specific people. Um, and sometimes the company or or the organization might not be aware of issues or area that needs improvement. Um, so um, you try to take those type of opportunity to make it a teachable moment. I will share a story from years ago when Ola Mills was working with an Asian company to uh, manufacture a new camera. I was one of the engineers on the design team. And when they visited us, since I'm Chinese, I made tea and served the first day, but immediately I can tell I was treated. Um, they may not know I'm one of the engineer or professional. So I had realizing that I had to pivot and ask my boss that I will still make the tea, but I'm gonna ask the other uh, men engineers and non-Asian engineer to serve the tea. <laughs> so teachable moments. Yeah, and you know, as an Asian American student myself, you know, I've experienced similar, um, you know, encounters with stereotypes or just images uh, related to that as well. So thank you for sharing that story. Um, Beth Ann, what do you think? So here's the good news: it's getting better. It's a better world for your your graduating class than it was for mine. However, am I the only woman in a meeting? Sometimes, absolutely. And, and that needs to change. I think, I'm gonna be a little controversial. I think sometimes women are the biggest challenge in a, that we block ourselves, right? So you hear all the studies. If a man is 50% qualified for a job, he'll go for it. If a woman is 120% qualified for a job, she won't, right? Women, You'll have a seat at the table, but you don't say anything. We're afraid to speak up. We're afraid to sort of give our opinion or, or be passionate about something. And that creates roadblocks in your own career. So it's great that I'm sitting at the table, but if I say nothing, no one knows what I'm thinking. No one can judge me on my business acumen. 
So I think sometimes we ourselves are our biggest difficulty in navigating a career, right? And how do you bring your true self? How do you bring your confidence in your ability well, and, and accepting that so you can push yourself forward? It's an uncomfortable position for women. And we just did a survey globally and specific, and it was a global questionnaire, but in my department, it says, I feel free to speak my mind. I'm always happy to give my opinion. The women in my department scored 10 points less than the men. And even the women in more senior positions scored lower. There's still this uncomfortability to speak your mind and give your opinion. So I think, <laughs> I don't know what we do, but I think as women, I, I, women leaders, it's important to continuously mentor, coach, and encourage our women uh, employees to speak out. And as you guys get into that workspace, go to Toastmasters, just do whatever you need to do to get comfortable with publicly speaking and grow your confidence in yourselves so that you apply for the job that maybe, okay, you're 90%, or let's not go for 110 or maybe not 50 like men, but that you're 80% qualified for, right? Like challenge yourself, push yourselves. Wow. And again, really inspirational. Show up and show out, women. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Your generation needs to change it, Lucy. We do, we do, us uh, Gen Z folk, yeah. <laughs> and thank you, yet again. Um, our next question, kind of Masami, similar to your uh, mommy track you talked about, um, but how do you balance your work obligations with your personal lives? Masami, I'll start with you again. Yeah, I think you just have to be aware of the, um, you know, different, uh, um, how do you say, um, challenges and you, you just, I, like, for example, especially during the pandemic, um, and most of us were working from home a lot, it's very difficult to separate um, personal and work and it's, it's tough. And then, you know, just like a lot of my co-panelists here, you know, I work across so many time zones and if I'm not careful, you know, I'm starting at literally, you know, 6 a.m., and then going till 9, 10 p.m. And, uh, you know, sometimes we just have to do it because that's just part of our job. But um, just making yourself, you know, say, well, today I am gonna shut it down. Or if I'm taking a day off, that's really a day off. You know, I'm not gonna be checking my phone every hour because that's not really a day off. Um, so just just telling yourself to, to make sure that that balance is right for me. Uh, that's really great advice. Again, my phone is a little bit too attached to me sometimes, so I can definitely relate to that. Uh, Lulu, what do you think? How do you navigate all of your responsibilities? Well, you know, when you enjoy your work and it's responsible for people and work downstream, it is hard to, you know, cut off the tie sometimes. But, you know, family obligation kind of keep needs to keep us aware of other things as well as self-care. So actually, calendar um, is my friend. I even schedule self-care time. 
Uh, so like there's some balance. And uh, so that's how I manage that. I will definitely start adding that to my calendar. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Beth Ann, how do you balance everything? Well, I might be a little controversial here, but I, I, I think that work-life balance is mm -hmm. kind of a myth. <laughs> it's a myth. I'm going to be frank with you. There are some times where work comes first and it has to come first. I have a deadline. I have a priority. I have an obligation that comes to first. Mm -hmm. Then there's sometimes, you know, work is going to be there, but I have to be there for my family and that's going to come first. So it is not so much work-life balance, but flexibility and knowing when those scales go like this and this and this. So it's that fluidity. So there's sometimes I'm your best friend and there's sometimes I'm not a very good friend because I have to work. Sometimes I'm a great wife and sometimes eh, you know, maybe not because I have something. And then there are times I'll do my self-care. I'll say, okay, I'm done with the work. I'm not going to look at my emails for an hour. I, it's hard, but I try. Uh, and so it's just that sort of flexibility of how you weave into those things, knowing what is important in each one of those aspects and prioritizing the time to make sure those things are done. Yeah, I have a quick follow-up question, Bethann, from that though. Um, you know, sometimes even as a student, I find myself um, with my personal life and school responsibilities where two equally important things will come into conflict and it's not like a clear one's more important than the other. So when mm -hmm. you're in those situations, how do you then figure out which to prioritize? Personally, for me, if there's a deadline at work, it has to be work. And I love you for my staff. I say their family comes first and the work can wait. So it depends, I think, as a boss, your family is number one, right? They're not gonna write you. It's 20 years after I'm gone, it's not like someone at AB is gonna be like, oh, she was great, right? When I'm done and dusted, it is your family and your friends. That is who you will live on in, right? So there's that always should be. So for my employees, your family comes first. That has to be the priority. If you're juggling and one for me personally, if I have a deadline, that deadline comes first. So if I can put my family and still meet the deadline, the family will jump, jump ahead of that. And that's kind of how I make the decision. But if the deadline is an hour and my niece needs something, sweetie, give me an hour. Mm. Yeah. So I imagine there's some grace and forgiveness in this as well. But uh, yeah, thank you so much. Robin, what about you? Uh, so this is a tricky one because I don't know if I've quite got it balanced just yet. Um, you know, for me, because my job really requires being available 24 7, 365 for emergencies. Um, uh, in, in like you've heard some of the other panelists say, you know, what I'm working with staff that could be in, in Asia or Europe or the Pacific. Um, so all times of the, the day or, or night, it's just, it's, it's very complicated because I don't have a, a nine to five. Um, so for me, I've found that uh, transparency with my team um, and setting boundaries has really, has really helped. Um, to be honest, I think when you first start out in a in your career, and particularly if you're in a new job, um, you're going to work 
probably more than you would like, there probably won't be that balance in the beginning because you're going to be learning on the go and really creating a reputation for yourself. Um, and, it, and then once you kind of establish yourself, you start to realize you get a little bit more autonomy, right, over your day and in, in, um, in, in, your, in your life. Um, but there are always going to be days and sometimes even weeks, depending on what's going on, um, where just these very, very intense periods, and, and that's it. Um, and you hear at the end, I'm not a good, not a good daughter, I'm not a good wife, I'm not a good anything. Um, but it's really important for me when those periods end to be able to reclaim some time for myself to recover, because um, I can only be good if I'm, you know, if I'm serving from a full cup. Um, and uh, for me, when you kind of find an environment, it doesn't allow for you to reclaim that time. You have to ask if that's the right environment for you, if it's the right environment for, for the long run. And when I talk about transparency, I'll say that I, um, my life, my personal life is quite different. My husband is French and we split our time between the U.S. and France. And so at every stage of my career, when I took, you know, when I was offered a new position, I was always very clear about where I was with my personal life and how I need to care about that time. And I found that being transparent like that allowed people to make the um, accommodations for me to be able to kind of have a personal life that I needed and that I wanted um, to go along with my professional life. Yeah, Bethann said you have to speak up. <laughs> Let people know your priorities. Thank you so much um, for all of our panelists again. We're now going to transition to uh, individual questions for our panelists. So starting well, with a question for Masami. In your job, how do you identify companies from around the world that would benefit from doing business in Tennessee? While helping these international companies connect with local talent, what important traits are they looking for in new hires? Okay, so that's two different questions, right? So the first is, um, as I said, um, we try to identify, um, as you said, companies from all over the world who might want to set up operations here in Tennessee. The first way we do that is, as I've already mentioned, also um, by these teams um, that uh, foreign offices uh, in various countries, they collectively um, directly recruit in about 20 countries. And, but saying it's a, it's a two-way relationship so it's not as if we go knocking on company stores you know um, they usually say hey we're interested can you tell us more about Tennessee because we might want to consider you as a potential location so that's one way we do it we also work with um, different agencies and offices consultants um, you know various um, we call them stakeholders or multipliers, you know, different outside organizations that might come into contact with such companies, uh, global companies that may say to them, hey, you know, we're thinking about investing in the United States, but we don't know how to do it. And then those third parties might contact us. So there's various ways in, in, in which that happens. But the important thing is the company really is the one that initiates um, that, that first step. And as for um, the types of workers that companies are looking at, I mean, it really depends on the industry and the company and the job uh, title and description. But one thing I can say is, um, well, since this is an international business panel, let me just um, add a little, uh, a short, short story about how 
one thing that we are always um, trying to learn from uh, these companies on is depending on where these companies come from, their expectation of what a good worker might be is very, very different. And sometimes we're talking the same language, um, that is we're using the same words, but a, a, a high quality worker in Germany, the standards might be really, really high compared to what they, what some other, you know, country uh, might think uh, is is an acceptable or or good worker. So, yeah, I think it goes back to your earlier comment on cross cultural competence too, and understanding the different requirements. Thank you so much. Uh, and the next question is for Lulu. Lulu, how do you navigate through cultural and economic differences between Tennessee and China? What challenges do you face building bridges in this difficult arena? Let me answer the second part first. I, I guess I'm just super lucky to start leading the Tennessee China Network on March 15, 2020. Um, you know, the sentiments toward China, um, I will say was not super positive at that point and still um, navigating to some challenges. But what I tried to explain, first of all, so I lived all over Asia before we, my family immigrated to um, US and landed in Tennessee. So I've lived in Japan, Taiwan, Philippines and other Asian countries. But uh, so I do understand a lot of the international um, dynamics. So I have personal views on a lot of things, but I have to make sure that we're, what we're trying to do is do business. I have to keep repeating that Tennessee China Network's focus is supporting economic growth of Tennessee. We're trying to bring forth uh, resources to help existing businesses. We're currently, uh, Tennessee is not actively recruiting new businesses from China. Um, so, Back to the first question, we navigate differences by understanding what the needs are. What do our members and partners want to or need to accomplish? Then we connect them with people and company, company with the experts. Usually the tasks or project will then smooth out the differences. Yeah, I'm sure your experience living in so many different Asian cultures was super helpful in your current position too, as you mentioned, um, and understanding those those relationships. But yeah, it's helpful, but you know, um, I, I actually had to do some additional homework because for, for years, I did not connect with that part of my background for some time since with universities, I was not in the international realm, except working with companies. Right. Thank you so much for your insight. Moving on to Beth Ann, my question for you is, what is your experience navigating cultural and economic differences in AB's global business? What skills are necessary to deal with challenges in transformation global business? Sure. So <laughs> it's funny because, you know, you, you, you would think uh, cultural differences would be country to country. And as we found out navigating, uh, relocating from New York to Nashville, it can be within the United States. And you know, New Yorkers are a 
little more kind of, you know, just bottom line it for me. What are you trying to say? Like, let's keep the train moving, right? Land the plane and let's move on. Um, and, and so when we, we always do these brainstorming meetings or peer review meetings where we discuss an audit and, or an audit report and they could get really contentious. I mean, previously, they were really contentious. People got really aggressive. And when I became chief audit officer, I really didn't like that whole vibe. So we really try to make them more informational and sort of challenging. Like I have to play devil's advocate. If you can't convince me that your issue is an issue, I'm not letting you out to the business. But we thought our tone and tenor and no one was mean was so much improved. So all the New Yorkers are high-fiving themselves, patting themselves on the back. What a great job. We've totally uplifted the tone and tenor of those meetings. How to come to find out that the Nashville staff thought we were kind of mean, right? And that we were shutting down conversation because we were kind of bottom line it. Okay, yeah, I get it. Just let's keep moving, right? So there's cultural differences within this country. And I think it is being open to that constructive criticism, right? If you're, if you're managing it. As far as international travel or anything like that, I just always try to be me because it's, if you're not, it's an ill-fitted suit. But be respectful of the culture of the country in which I was traveling. So I tried to learn about it. I would talk to my staff there any do's and don'ts, you know, you don't want to offend anybody. So being mindful that every country might, not every country, but certain countries have maybe different cultural norms and that you just be open that the way that you do something in this country is not the way some is not expected or accepted in a different country. In terms of skills to deal with the challenges, I mean, I think whether it's transformation or just regular old business, I think the ability to uh, actively listen, making sure you are reacting to what is said and not what you're making up, not what you interpreted what was said, like keep it to the facts, building relationships, knowing the people, getting to know those people, intellectual curiosity, how curious are you about the world outside of your department? And then I think, you know, communication. And how effective can you deliver and communicate your message? And then lastly, I'm going to add one more, and adaptability. Yeah. Relationship building seems to be the theme, the tagline of our panel. Yeah. <laughs> An important one. Yeah, and adaptability as well. And I thought it was interesting, kind of tying back to Masami's point, um, you mentioned Bethan about, uh, you know, like being aware of those cultural differences and respecting them and listening actively. And you may be saying words, as Masami said, but you might be saying completely different things. Um, mm -hmm. So just being aware of the conversation is so vital. Thank you. Uh, Robin, my question for you. Uh, in your position at World Strides, what measures should the audience take when we travel abroad to stay safe and healthy? Who can we contact if we find ourselves in crisis in a foreign location? Those are, those are great questions. Um, so I'm going to start, you know, with um, 
some of the obvious rules that you would follow even while you're on campus or in your home community, you know, like using the buddy system after dark, don't drink to excess when you're traveling, um, and definitely don't take a drink from a stranger. Um, always make sure you're using a registered taxi or using ride shares when you're abroad. Always make sure that the car details match what is in your app of managed incidents when people got in the wrong car. Um, those are just like general rules where you know you should follow anywhere. But when it comes to traveling, I would say research where you're traveling. Risk is personal to the traveler. Um, and what I mean by that is that our identities beyond gender can expose us to, to different risk. Um, so everyone on this panel um, may experience street harassment when they travel, you know, just, you know, as, as a woman traveler. Is whether a parent or not could expose us to different risk. So, you know, whether that's religion or race or sexual identity, those could all be treated differently in the different countries and different places where you're, where you're going. So it's really important to understand if where you're traveling to is what I would say friendly to, to those identities. And that's not to say that you can't travel somewhere that isn't you know, necessarily friendly, but when you understand the, the risk or what makes you more vulnerable, you can then prepare for that. Um, so the Department of U.S. Department of State um, is uh, one place that keeps you know, country profiles and they will address you know, special considerations, whether it's accessibility or anything else for um, individual travelers to help inform themselves. Um, definitely want to understand local norms, particularly as they relate to, to dress and be respectful of the culture that you're going to. You don't want to stand out for the wrong reasons. Um, then always have a working cell phone. And uh, this is the thing I tell everyone, always be accountable to someone. Um, it could be, you know, your parents, a significant other, your best friend, your neighbor, but just as long as it's someone who you trust, um, always make sure someone knows where you're going, um, where you're staying and has a copy of your itinerary. So when there is an incident abroad, someone knows how they can reach you. Um, if you plan, uh, if you have a plan to check in with that person, make sure you commit to it. Um, you know, I still do those things to this day. Um, uh, believe it or not, you know, I'm, a, I'm an old married woman and my mom will still ask me for my flight details and the hotel where I'm staying, whether I'm traveling for work or from pleasure. And, you know, I share those details with her so she knows where I am and what to do if something happens. Um, and then finally, I'll say, trust your instincts, no matter where you are in the world. If something feels off, it probably is. And um, know when to, to walk away. Just believe in yourself and your instincts. Um, and for your second question in terms of who you call, Always know the local equivalent of 911 in the country where you're going. 911 is not universal, will not work everywhere. So you want to know that. And then, of course, you have the, the U.S. Embassy or the embassy of, you know, wherever your citizenship is, your country of citizenship um, that are always there and have you know, emergency services for their, their citizens when they're traveling. Thank you so much. I did have a quick follow-up question based on your comments, Robin. Um, you talked about knowing that risk is personal and depends on your identity, how does intersectionality influence the risk a person could face? Absolutely, right? Um, it's a good question. Uh, you know, I, when I travel in the world, I don't just travel as a woman. I travel, I identify as African-American. I travel as an African-American woman. And um, in some places, uh, that could mean that um, I may be uh, over-sexualized than other travelers, right? That, you know, don't have those, those same identities. 
Um, I could uh, face uh, racial discrimination, racial profiling in places, right? And maybe another female traveler would not face. Um, so I really think that any kind of uh, risk assessment that doesn't take into account the various uh, identities and the intersection of identities for the traveler is, is an incomplete risk assessment. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I just want to remind our audience members to please, if you have any questions, use the Q&A box uh, on your Zoom screen uh, as we're wrapping up here in the last 20 minutes of our conversation. Uh, my next question, uh, starting with Lulu, what aspects of international business will change the most in the next decade? Well, I see a lot of change coming uh, forth on supply chain issues and, of course, talents and workforce you know, especially in international business, the skills that's needed. Um, technology is everywhere. Um, the remote working uh, is affecting international business as well. Um, and working 24 seven for some of the people here. Um, those are type of things that uh, people are, are having to get used to if you're gonna work globally. That's right. The world is always awake somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Masami, what do you think aspects uh, of international business will change in the next 10 years? I think Lulu covered pretty much all of it, but I guess I will add that I am sure there are some things that we don't even know about um, today as we're talking together. I mean, this is, is has been repeated over and over already, but um, you know, the pandemic. I mean, who would have thought that this was what we would be facing um, right now and over the last couple of years already? So I hope that though that experience means that we will be prepared for whatever changes we are going to see um, in the next little bit. Um, but otherwise, I think I think all those things Lulu mentioned and hopefully also another thing I'd like to see more of is sort of, uh, you know, more cooperation between countries, not just lip service, but, but in the true aspect of the word because of these crises that we never know we would be facing in the near future again, you know, such as another pandemic, hopefully not, but in any event, um, I hope that this has taught us a lesson that, that we just need to be better prepared um, individually as countries and the world in general and, and more cooperation so that we will be better prepared. Yeah, going back to relationship building uh, and the value of diplomacy is so critical for collaboration. Yeah. Thanks, Masami. Uh, Beth Ann, what do you think will change in particularly maybe in auditing? <laughs> well, I think data analytics is becoming more and more crucial. So that, that having that technical skill, but, you know, I think I was really thinking more broadly in terms of, you know, if you're looking at like areas of risk or, or things that we're constantly, you know, challenged by, uh, obviously cybersecurity, ransomware and all of that. I mean, God knows what the next attack will be, what the next technology will be that can blow up a business. So how a business is really preparing for what's next, because we we're very reactive and not proactive. Um, then ESG, 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 right? ESG, it's all over the place. Europe is so far ahead of us, but you know, where Europe goes, the rest of the countries tend to go. So what is the global regulatory regime is going to be like? 
because they seem to be coming more and more and not less and less, right? Unfortunately, <laughs> because it's just more auto works. I guess I should be grateful. And then, you know, I think Zoom taught us a lot also about our customer bases. So people of my generation were eager to meet with their advisors, let's say face-to-face. -face. People of your generation, totally cool on Zoom. Yeah, it's totally, they, 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 please don't make me come into the office, right? So I think it's the changes that the business will have to make to meet the demands of the next set of clients. And that is improving this sort of technology, making these experience, experiences more uh, better, right? Zoom is good, it's coming a long way, but what's, what's the next generation of this? How much information can we safely provide to you so you never have to talk to your advisor if you never want to, right? <laughs> Just give me the information. So I think it's how are you gonna be responsive to that next generation? Because each generation pushes you further along corporate responsibility or corporate stewardship. When is the appropriate time to be involved in social justice? When is the appropriate time? How are we holding ourselves responsible um, beyond our investments and, and products we push, but ourselves in the ESG aspects? And that, that demand, and again, that's coming from younger and younger generations. My parents, they're not really concerned about it, right? <laughs> so I think it's how, I. Don't, the changes I can't predict, I know where they're going to come from. Mm. What well, makes me happy you think data analytics is crucial, as that is what I'm studying at the university here. <laughs> data analytics, and I'll tell you a lot in our business, more and more data analysts, digital transformation, all of that, artificial intelligence, that is becoming more and more crucial um, in our business. And we're pushing that further and further along. So okay. good, talk, good major. So uh, keep it a lookout, A.B. <laughs> Self-promo. Thank you so much, Bethany. Uh, Robin, what do you think? What aspects of international business will change? I think you had a lot of great answers from my co-panelists. Um, just coming from a, from a risk perspective, um, you know, prior to COVID, pandemic was just one of those words in like your, your, your list of, <laughs> of, uh, of, you know, potential risk that were, that were out there. It was a word that was in somewhere in your insurance clause, but you never really paid attention to it. Right. Um, and so now it's really a matter of being prepared for um, not if there will be another pandemic, but when there is another pandemic, when there is another outbreak um, prior to um, the Prior to the pandemic, I mean, I was managing our participants, our students who were in Australia during the wildfires, and we're seeing the impact of, of climate change and how that impacts natural disasters, right? And making sure that we're prepared to respond to, to those types of things and that we have the right, um, uh, the, the right uh, policies in place to protect our, our, our employees, our our, you know, in, in, our, in our properties and all, of, and all of our assets are brought. So in, in my area, for, for the risk management area, that's where we're kind of keeping time. Yeah, the world only is getting more risky. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, so that's the end of uh, my pre-written questions. And now we're going to move to our audience questions. Uh, so this first question, what would be the best advice for someone who is currently in the process of applying or finding jobs? How would you go about this process if you were experiencing it today? And um, we can start with Lulu. 
Well, uh, one of the things that I, I do do a lot of talent recruitment for uh, companies, and uh, I try to make sure the college students that are applying to those jobs, uh, making sure that their resume is matching what their skills are, but also read the job description. Uh, you might have to customize or um, uh, update it a little bit because sometimes there's not an alignment. And so that's one thing that I've been um, pretty critical of when I um, recruit a colleges. Um, also, making sure they're presenting themselves um, as a whole self. You know, there's different parts of you, uh, whether you volunteer, uh, your own um, social activities could present to the employer um, what type of person you might be, because you get that one chance to present your resume, and that could mean that you get an interview or not. So, so resume is key. Yeah, you only have a first impression once. I had a yeah. coach tell me. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Masami, do you have any advice? I agree with everything Lulu just said, but I would like to add, and this is along the same lines, but you know, don't have any typos in your cover <laughs> letter, resume. Um, I have seen everything um, from, you know, when I was in a position where I was looking at resumes and I, and I was working for a company, a candidate had the wrong company name. I mean, it was, I know everybody recycles letters and all that good stuff, but for goodness take, sakes, take just a few minutes to make sure you're not doing that. Um, also be punctual. Um, if you get an interview, if you're lucky enough to get an interview, learn a little bit about the company before coming to the interview. Um, and have good questions. Um, you know, you're also interviewing the company, so you need to be able to, and, and that is part of the interview process from the company's perspective, right? I mean, has, have you done your homework? Do you know enough about this company so that you have questions to ask? So I, I, would, I would say absolutely uh, make sure you do those things. And then finally, not just in the um, job search process, but in any uh, situation, whether you're looking for a job or starting a new job, it's an internship, a permanent position, be nice and be kind. That goes a long way. Um, and I have to say, maybe even more important than some of your skill sets, uh, other skill sets. So, you know, don't be fake about it, but, but keep that in mind. Be nice and be kind. Thank you. Yeah, kindness is so crucial. Uh, Robin, do you have any advice? Sure, and it's kind of been my theme through throughout, but I'm gonna mention again, uh, the networking aspect of it. Um, particularly today when it feels like, you know, you're applying for jobs and, you know, it feels like you're kind of submitting everything into, into the black hole. That is the um, job application portal. Um, so, uh, you know, speaking with people, trying to see if you know someone who works in the company who can talk to you about the company. Um, I, I have uh, friends and colleagues who they got their hand, their resumes in the hands of five different people at an organization in order to make sure that you were able to, to get that, that interview. Um, be patient, 
with it. Uh, it's important to, uh, um, you know, as Masami said, make sure there are no typos like that in your resume, but also be concise. A lot of people, a lot of job um, searchers are not, a lot of uh, the people who are hiring don't have time to read every word in your resume. So you want to make sure that what you have written is going to have their attention and it's going to really um, get across succinctly who you are and what value you add to the organization. Thank you. Bethann? Sure. So beyond what was already said, I have a couple of tips. Um, be able to speak to your resume. Nothing will make you lose a job faster if I ask you something specific on your resume and you don't know what I'm talking about. So make sure you know what your resume says and make sure you can speak to it because a lot of companies, you are asked specific questions off of what we see on your resume. That's what brought you into the door. So that's why we're curious about it. Answer the question and provide examples. Don't just say you're a team player. Why? Why are you a great team player? Even if you don't have work experience, go back to college, right? So maybe you were on a project and someone got sick and you stepped up and you took over that portion for that person because it was the team that had to submit the project and that's where you stepped up. Why are you a great at project management? Because while you were in college. So don't worry that you don't have any job experience because the experiences that you have in college will prepare you for that job, right? If you're, if you're a student and you're taking a lot of course loads, project management, you're doing it left and right. So use specific examples and then actively listen, answer the question that is asked. So if I ask you, so tell me what, why you think you're qualified for this position, don't, that's the question I wanna know. That's, I want to know in your opinion. Well, as you can see from my resume, I've done this job before. No, that's not, no, that's not what I'm asking. In your opinion, Lucy, in your opinion, why do you think, why did you apply for this job? And then I cannot underscore, do research. Like there is so much information out there. Go to the company's website, make sure you understand the job responsibilities and make sure you understand the company that you're walking into. Because there's really, in this day and age, there's really no excuse not to know what Alliance Bernstein is, for example, like we're an asset manager, right? Or what, there's so much information. So do your homework. Yeah, great advice. Actually, the next audience question is directed to Bethann. Uh, what do you look for as terms of qualities uh, during the hiring process for your team? And does knowing more than one language help within that process for determining a candidate? It doesn't hurt, okay? so. It was interesting. So when we relocated from New York to Nashville, I had two choices. I had to make a two choices. Either I could hire someone with audit experience, but they had no asset management, or I could hire someone with asset management experience, but had no auditing experience. And in that, you, you target in on what key skills do we think will make you Right, so I am convinced if you have the desire, I can make you an auditor, right? I'm convinced because 98% of the time we've been able to do it. Are you intellectually curious? That's why learn about the company. Again, come prepared with some questions, right? And sometimes those questions can be reactionary. If I tell you I've been with the company 23 years, a, a layup question for y'all is, 
what has kept you at this company for so long? That's a layup. I just gave you one, right? If the person talks about their experience, ask a, if you don't have one and you're trying to think of one, you know, ask them about themselves. But anyways, are you intellectually curious? Are you an effective communicator? Are, um, do you have good analytical skills? Don't tell me you have good analytical skills. Prove it to me. Tell me why. Are you detailed oriented? So those are skills that not only will make you an effective auditor, I think they will just make you an effective employee. What are your time management or project management skills? I like to call them project management skills because time management, you know, I think all our time managements can be up here, but if you can deliver your projects, you know, that's really what I'm concerned about. Thank you so much. Well, we're close to wrapping up here. So I'll first open up for our panelists if anyone has any closing remarks they would like to share. If not, then I'm happy to take the train for us. Um, thank you all so much for attending tonight. Um, we have some exciting events coming up at UT, including the International Education Week, featuring multiple events happening, happening all across the campus. This year's theme is the UN Sustainable Development Goals. We talked about climate change and the importance of ESG tonight. Um, I'm putting a link in the chat, if it'll please look. <laughs> yep, there it is posting this in the chat, which uh, takes you to more information about the events we'll be having. Uh, the keynote speaker this year will be Hera Brown, a UT graduate, Fulbright scholar, as well as the first transgender Rhodes scholar. She is returning to campus and will speak about her work related to refugee studies and supports Scholar Rescue Fund, and we hope you can join us. Again, thank you all so much for uh, joining us this evening. I know I've really learned so much from our panelists and really appreciate their time and insight. But thank you on behalf of the Tennessee World Affairs Council and University of Tennessee.